to the Creative Process Podcast, a discussion with artists about what goes on behind the scenes when they're creating their work. I'm your host, Dave Hopper. On this episode, I speak with artist Shannon Finnegan. Shannon is an artist based in Brooklyn, New York, who works primarily in drawing and installation. Recent solo exhibitions include Good Days and Bad Days in Chengdu, China, Should Can't at the Invisible Dog in Brooklyn, New York, and Duel at Outlet Fine Art, also in Brooklyn, New York. In 2014, she was a nominee for the Rima Hort Mann Foundation Emerging Artist Grant, and in 2015, won an Awesome Foundation Grant for her collaborative project, The Sandwich Club, which we will talk about now. Shannon Finnegan, welcome to the Creative Process Podcast. I'm happy to be here. Your fellow Sandwich Club member, for anyone who listened to the last episode, uh, Brianne Trammell is the one who recommended you. I guess you guys have a history, right? Yes, we met through the Wasaic Project um, and have been good friends and collaborated on the Sandwich Club for the past six years. Brianne told us a little bit. Can you tell us uh, your perspective on the Sandwich Club? Um, the Sandwich Club is really, it started as a joke and then really <laughs> like snowballed and took on a life of its own. Really, I think just because people are really passionate about sandwiches. Um <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, it's sort of been amazing to see just uh, new people getting involved and excited about it, but it's basically a club in the loosest sense of the word. Like, we have one meeting a year, which is an annual conference (laughs) where people present about sandwich-related topics, and then other than that, club members just stay in touch via social media, kind of like, I always get, like, a bunch of emails or Twitter notifications when a new sandwich-related article comes out. (laughs) Um, And there's also another important part of the club is that there's a free sticker distribution component. So anyone can write to our email address and get a Sandwich Club sticker as a way to signal their membership and participation. I saw on your Instagram that you put a patch on a hat along with a pin for the Sandwich Club. It's true. We've experimented with different kind of uh, accessories over the years. We have tote bags at one point. <laughs> We've made patches and pins. You um, sound just like us public radio another. people trying to promote our stuff. <laughs> Everyone needs a tote bag. <laughs> <laughs> so I have to ask, whose joke was it at the beginning that started it? So it started when I moved to New York City, and actually another friend of mine named Sam Handler we both moved to New York around a similar time, and when we would get dinner, we would just get sandwiches because it was cheap, and it's, but mm-hmm. it's still something there's a lot of variety. You can, like, make a point to go to different neighborhoods or different places. Um, so that was, like, the original joke was just the two of us being, like, this is a club, <laughs> even though it's just us, <laughs> the two of us. Yeah. And then we had other friends who started saying, like, oh, can I be in the club? And we were like, well, it's not really a club but (laughs) sure why not uh, yeah of course you can be in it (laughs) (laughs) so how many people come to the meeting now um about a hundred oh you've expanded quite a bit from two (laughs) (laughs) yeah i think i've also we've given away over 700 stickers awesome and what is the uh email to get them it's bread is important (laughs) at (laughs) gmail.com that is a great email <laughs> okay, it's true. so bread is important. It is very true. So, when did you come to New York? I well, so I actually moved to Wasaic, New York, which is 
a little bit outside of New York City, mm-hmm. um, right after I graduated from college in 2011. So you came, I saw on your website or online, an interview I read, that you're from the Bay Area originally. So what brought you to New York? Why do you want to come over here and check New York out if you're already near a great city like San Francisco? Well, I think I was just curious about the East Coast. It's actually something my mom, I remember her saying this when I was growing up, saying that she had lived on the East Coast in the Midwest and on the West Coast, and that she thought that that kind of gave her... Um, different perspectives, and yeah. I grew up on the West Coast, went to college in the Midwest, <laughs> and so you're going so the opposite way. <laughs> <was ready. laughs> exactly. That's interesting because I find in your work, um, I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but that you like yeah. um, extreme opposites a lot. It seems like like you're. Um, I don't want to get too far. We'll get into this later about like good days, bad days, or the polar opposites are interesting to you. It's true. Yeah. So where does your creative process start? Well, so I, I'm constantly kind of like at random moments thinking about ideas for projects. So sometimes something will just, I'll be on the subway or, you know, making dinner, doing folding laundry, something like that. And I'll just kind of have an idea for a new project. And then I'll kind of think about it from a few different angles and kind of, uh, turn it over in my head a little bit. And then once I kind of settle on a way I want to approach it, I'll start making something. Um, My approach has always been that I want to be really, um, I want to give myself a lot of space to try new projects or try new ideas. And that, I mean, I think that's one of the great things about being an artist is that you have your own, to create and so you can try things and if something doesn't work out or doesn't go the way that you want you don't have to show it to anyone or (laughs) you know you can kind of like you have a lot of um, yeah just room to try things so I try not to like be too critical of an idea up front I um, because I think you learn or I learn a lot through the process of making things and so later on I can kind of reflect on what what I've made and say like, okay, I think that worked in this way or I want to do this, this differently. And, um, so yeah, I think that's kind of the, the overall picture of, of how I work. So it's almost like the ideas come to you when you're not thinking about art. You're just, your mind's doing something else or you're just doing a mundane task where you know what you're doing and your mind can sort of wander. Yeah. I think that tends to be true. I've been in situations where I ha- like, I have to have an idea right now because, it's for an exhibition or a project where there's a deadline and, you know, it, it, it's something that I have to, I have to decide now. And in those cases, I, I can do it a little bit differently where I like really sit down and brainstorm. Um, but usually in my kind of like, uh, daily life that happens. Yeah. in these kind of in between moments when I'm doing other things. Do you find a difference in the art that you create? Like on a deadline or something that just comes to you? I don't know. I definitely had an experience with a project that I did about a year ago where I had an idea that for an exhibition that I was excited about, but it was a project that involved getting responses from other people and the way the responses came back, it it just wasn't going to work out. And so mm-hmm. then I was really tight on time <laughs> um, and I felt like the second idea 
didn't really get fully developed. And I think in general, I'm someone who does prefers not to be rushed. I like to, you know, like really be able to to relax into a project and don't not feel like I have to rush. So how many projects have you done that involve other people? Because that's tough working, waiting for other people to get back to you if you're used to just doing it yourself. I've done a handful of projects that involve other people. And in some ways, the most fun part of it is the part where you get to hear back. And I I often am surprised in the other way, where it's something I expected something else and then what I get back is like even better or more interesting than I anticipated. Um, and part of the reason that I've done those projects is because I, they're, so most of them they involve like a survey. So it's just a written questionnaire that I ask a bunch of people to respond to. And those projects really started with kind of my own curiosity about other people's internal lives and thoughts and feelings. Um, and so usually the experience of getting the answers back is very exciting. Um, and even with the project that it that didn't work out, it was still really interesting to see the answers that I got back. It just made it so that the way that I had conceptualized the exhibition wasn't going to work the way I thought it would. Do you think you could use it for something else down the line? Maybe. <laughs> It's tough. Sometimes work that doesn't work out all of a sudden will fit in somewhere else down the line. You never want to just like totally throw something out. Yeah. And when I, when it first happened, I thought of it as a kind of a complete failure. And then it wasn't until a little bit later, I was actually talking to another artist about it and they were like, that's the project. It's it's still there. (laughs) And definitely as it was happening, I couldn't do that. But now kind of looking back on it, um, I feel like, yeah, even when things kind of didn't go the way that I expected, I could have kind of adapted maybe to still um, use it. So I want to ask you about the project The Worst, which is one where you asked other people for responses. Can you explain that to us a little bit? For that project, I used an online market research company called Servata um, that basically you can ask two open-ended questions and you pay per response. So I think I ended up getting 50 responses. And the questions that I asked were, how long was the worst period of your life? And do you know what caused it? And I ended up not using the second answer, um, just using the responses about the length of time. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's a series of 45 drawings that are just different lengths of time and the shortest one is a night and then the longest one is years and the way that I display them is like lined up by um by length so starting at a night and then going down the wall to years is there a lot of is there a big gap between any one portion or is it all pretty incremental it's pretty incremental I was surprised the answer a night Definitely surprised me. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty nice uh, if that's the worst part of your life with just one night, right? Yeah. Well, I think part of the project for me is about how hard it is to understand, especially other people's negative experiences, because, yeah, on one hand, it's like a night seems like, oh, that's, yeah, not so bad. Didn't last that long. But then 
also for me, when I think about someone having like such a horrible night that that time was the worst period of their life, like that also seems like that could just have been really horrible. True. Um, and I just think in general, kind of like other people's emotions are like a black box. So it's really hard to, to understand what's going on with them. And so that project was kind of about that. Like, even when you get these, some of these kind of indications of what people are thinking or the experience they have that you don't, it's still really hard to kind of fully access someone else's experience. So what made you drop the second part and just keep the time part for the project? Well, I, part of it is I felt like the, um, yeah, I think I just felt like the responses didn't really add to it. I mean, a lot of them were things that I think you would expect, like um, loss of a loved one or uh, a breakup or something kind of work-related. Some people just replied, like, depression or clinical depression. Some people just said, I don't know what caused it. But I felt like in the end that additional information didn't didn't really end up adding that much or like helping you understand the experience. So it's sort of almost like an open-ended movie, sort of like you fill in what you think happened and sometimes that changes the meaning for different people as they're viewing it. Yeah. Rather and than I liked answering the question for them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I liked in the responses that I got back, there's just these little subtle things about the way that people phrase the length of time, like whether you say one month or a month or you abbreviate month. Um, and so that was another thing that I liked about it. So you get these little like human touches in people's responses that kind of make them feel like individual experiences. What other projects have you used other people's responses, and when did you get really interested in trying to understand other people's emotions? Well, so it start. I had been doing this work where that was where I was using these pairs of sentences that were opposites or conflicting in some way, but both felt true to me. So, like some of those are like an example would be nothing is good enough, anything is good enough, or mm-hmm. Um, I should be working more, I should be working less, hurry up, slow down. And I felt like the way that people were reading those drawings was really about me and about my experience. And some of them were, but some of them were also things I heard from friends. There's things that I just kind of made up. And so I wanted to start doing projects that really brought other people's voices more directly into the work. And so that's where I came up with the idea to start doing these survey projects. And the first one that I did was for an installation called uh, I Should, I Can't. And I just asked people for things that they can't do but wish that they could. And then... I got about 500 responses for that project, and I edited down to about 100. And then each I can't sentence was paired with the equivalent I should. So I can't stop worrying. I should stop worrying. And did people have a like a lot of good reactions to that project? Yeah. And I, what was exciting about it, I think, was that, and this was the feeling that I that I had about the responses when they were coming in 
was that even if it's something that isn't specifically isn't part of my own experience, that just the feeling of trying and failing to do something, you can kind of uh, relate to it on that level, even if there's like a specific thing that you can't. Uh, um, and so, yeah, it was really amazing to be in the installation and have people kind of coming in and talking about which ones they identify with or kind of picking out different ones. It's almost cathartic in a way to see both sentences there, but also to relate to different sentences in different ways. And every person that comes in is going to be affected by a different one. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's something kind of a larger part of my work is that I'm just interested in... I think a lot of times we feel really isolated in our own strangeness or um, problems or negative experiences. And I do think it's really cathartic when it's like put into the open or you see that someone else has experienced something similar to you. And so with a lot of my work, I feel like I'm trying to kind of make people's interior lives um, create a way for people to kind of connect to their experiences. That's what social media was supposed to do at the beginning. (laughs) Just connect people on that level. And now a lot of us seem more isolated than we were before. It's true. Well, I do think also sometimes it's hard to talk about like sad or negative things on social media. Like when I, I use Instagram a lot and when I scroll through Instagram, a lot of it is like very positive things. It's like, feel like people put the like highlights Mm -hmm. real. Um, and so you don't always get that kind of like, I think more well-rounded picture of what someone is experiencing. Yeah. Everyone puts the highlights and keeps the rest of the stuff hidden because they don't want to be seen as a downer, I guess, or they just don't want to be seen as complaining or just ruining someone's day with something that's real. Everyone wants to keep that positive influence going. Yeah. Yeah. I don't really know why, why it is that people, I mean, sometimes in my feed, I'll see something, you know, someone will be talking about something that's not just like the great breakfast that they ate or the cool thing that they just saw. And I always appreciate that and value that, but it doesn't seem like the system is, set up to like make it easier for people to share those types of things yeah they don't get as many likes (laughs) (laughs) so i wanted to ask you about your eight-hour drawings and my hand hurts just thinking about it (laughs) you must have a lot of uh power in your hand so i do <laughs> I've really developed those those hand muscles. <laughs> yeah, that's a lost skill these days. Now, when I try to write, my hands dead after not long because so used to typing. Yeah. So where did the idea yeah. for these come from? So I think they started out as a way of of talking about make, what's a meaningful activity and what's not a meaningful activity. And, like, an eight-hour day, that's kind of, like, what we as a culture have decided is a full work day. And when I do one of the eight-hour drawings, when I finish, there is, like, a sense of satisfaction. Like, wow, you know, like, I worked all day. I made this drawing. 
Um, but then on the other hand, when you look at it, it's just the same mark repeated over and over. And in some ways feels very meaningless. Mm-hmm. And so, and I think that that's how a lot of people feel about their day jobs is that kind of when they look at the tasks that they're doing, there's a sense of accomplishment or there's things that they need to get done that they get done. But then when they kind of zoom out, like the larger kind of thing that's happening maybe doesn't feel as meaningful. Now, after you're done with these, do you feel like you have to do something else afterwards, like another project, work on another project, or are you done for the day? Definitely done for the day. Because <laughs> like you were saying, <laughs> some people just, they work all day at their day job, and then they feel, they accomplish something, but they feel unfulfilled, and they feel they have to go do their second job at night to actually feel fulfilled for the day, even though they worked eight hours. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think... So those drawings I made as my thesis project in college, and I feel like even since then, um, the way that I think about work is really different, and I think the way that I see most of my peers make kind of making a living involves working way more than eight hours. <laughs> yeah, eight hours is a standard and not the rule. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. And the one on donut sprinkles made me hungry. <laughs> They're delicious. Uh, another piece of work that you made that was interesting to me was From Dust, which is comparing, mm. I think, Dust Bowl quotes with um, China's pollution. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was really interesting to me. Where did that come from? So I was I lived in Chengdu, China for a year and a half. Um, I moved back to the United States in May. And while I was there, I was asked to participate in an exhibition that, and the theme of the exhibition was from dust. And it was right, it was in the winter, which is like the worst time of year for pollution. And there had just been this really severe pollution in a northern city called Shenyang. And I had been looking at photos of that and reading about it and just had this kind of feeling like I'd seen it before and I it just was because it really reminded me of images from the Dust Bowl Mm -hmm. and so then I did more research about it and there are a lot of differences obviously between those two things but there are also a lot of similarities and so by selecting the quotes I was able to kind of um, draw a comparison between those two things. Yeah, the Dust Bowl era is just interesting to me. And then a lot of times history seems so far away. And so I like drawing comparisons back and forth. It sort of brings the history more into the current events. Yeah, definitely. I think especially when I think about air pollution in China, I would definitely have this feeling like, oh, this is, you know, so severe and such a huge problem. And then definitely kind of, looking at what happened with the Dust Bowl and understanding how severe that was, I think just helped me kind of put those things in perspective a little bit. Okay, so to go from something serious to something fun, um, (laughs) you work on a site called My Fancy Brain as well. Yeah. Do you Mm -hmm. want to explain what that is? So it's myself and 
four friends that just kind of wanted to collaborate and have a space where we could show things that were in process or projects that we didn't feel like really fit into kind of any other space. Like for me, when the things that I put on my website are more finished, polished things, but Mm -hmm. there's lots of stuff that I do that's creative um, and kind of wanting to put that somewhere. So we made this website, My Fancy Brain, where we would post different projects. And then we also collaborate on a few things. Every year we make um, print-at-home Valentine's, so it's just <laughs> I black did like line drawings. <laughs> those are great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so they're just black line drawings that are sized for 8.5 by 11, so anyone can print them out and color them in or add stickers or glare glue or whatever and then give them to friends. Where did the Burger Zone comic come from? <laughs> Um, that's a collaboration with my boyfriend, Orion Martin. Um, he is someone who's really interested in comics. It's, I didn't really read comics when I was growing up. Um, and so through him, I sort of started reading more and learning more. And we kind of created these characters and we just had a really fun time making the comic strips. Um, and so there's kind of like a larger plot arc that we're we're wrapping up and we plan to make it into a book. Very nice. So what are you working on right now? I'm working on a little bit of Burger Zone. There's a few more things that I have to draw. Uh, Orion does the writing and does the preliminary sketches, so he's pretty much finished all the stuff that he has to do, but there's more drawing for me to do, so I'm working on that a little bit. Um, I recently started this series of drawings. I have a disability, and i that's, I think, always been kind of a part of what I'm interested in and what my work is about, but not always in a way that I think other people see the work through that lens or access that kind of part of it. Mm-hmm. And so, especially, I think, since the election, feeling like I wanted to be more vocal about that kind of part of my experience that's great and also yeah and I think also it's just there's so little representation of disability that I feel like matches my experience which is that there are things that are hard but there's also things that are funny or cool or um interesting and wanting to kind of create almost a portrait of myself that reflects that kind of variety so I'm using just kind of fragments of text that are memories or thoughts or feelings or imagined scenarios, and it will be a bit of about uh, 20 to 25 drawings. That is a tough feeling when you you relate to people who are like you, but then you don't see your exact circumstance or feelings put forward. So you feel like kind of the club, but not really. So it's great that you're putting your own experiences out there. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and I I think, I hope that there's, I also part of what I've been doing for this project is researching other disabled artists, and that's been really exciting um, just to learn more about other, other people who are kind of approaching this topic and the strategies that they're using. And I think there's definitely, like, many more disabled artists once I started looking, mm-hmm. like I realized how much 
there is out there, but it wasn't something that I was seeking out, and so it wasn't always um, on my radar. So that's also, I think, been a really exciting part of it. And when did you start thinking that you wanted to speak out more about this? Um, It was, I think, mostly... I think the election has was just there was an incident where um, Trump was criticized for mocking the New York Times reporter, mm-hmm. um, and so that was something that people were talking about a lot. Also, Hillary ran on a really like pro disability rights platform. It was something that she, I think she's been focused on for a long time. And so that was just a big part of her campaign. Um, and so, yeah, I just in the kind of the aftermath of the election, wanting to just be more vocal about, about that particular issue. That's great. Okay. So my last question for you is whose creative process would you like to learn more about? My recommendation is an artist named Laura Swanson. Um, she is an, another artist with a disability that I um, came across as I have kind of been researching other artists. um, And I feel really excited about her work and yeah, would love to know more about her creative process. Great. Thank you for the recommendation. Thank you so much for doing this. This has been a great interview and uh, I'm really looking forward to speaking to Laura and getting this out there so everyone can hear it. Awesome. That was artist Shannon Finnegan. Find her work at shannonfinnegan.com. Thank you for listening to the Creative Process Podcast. I'm Dave Hopper. This has been a production of WAMC Northeast Public Radio. The music is Big Screen by Silent Partner. ¶¶